Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services, for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today we have with us Claire Horner. She is the founder and CEO of ATL Shrink, and she also created the Sexual Trauma Specialist Database. Uh, We're going to get into all of her credentialing and everything behind that, and then also talk about the different things that she does in her practice and how she can help people who are going through trauma. Claire, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here, obviously. (laughs) Yes. I'm really excited to get into this. Um, I think you bring a lot of value to our listeners. So basically, we just start the show out talking about where did you grow up? How did you grow up? What was high school like? Kind of that background. Okay. Okay, sure. So I landed in Georgia by the time I was five. We moved a lot before that. I was born on an army base, and but we left the military pretty quickly after that. But I settled in Georgia and went through Georgia Gwinnett school system, all of that, suburbia, all that good stuff. I was in a highly religious um, environment throughout. And so you know, one of the places that I've landed in terms of working with people in trauma is, is sexual abuse within the church and by clergy. And, you know, obviously in the past couple of years, it's, you know, been brought more to the forefront. So I'm glad, I'm really glad about that. That's one of the things that, that I'm glad our current situation has, has brought to light. Let's see. Do you have a specific thing that might be um, no, just kind of, um, so you grew up in the church, um, like what were you doing in high school? Kind of like yeah. the things that led you down the path that you are currently sure. in. Sure. I was always the product of an artist and an engineer, and I got 50-50 split between both of those. So um, I spent a lot of time in music, and but on the on the whole curiosity about people and how they work and the impact of pain has always been where I've spent a lot of time. I don't know how to, you know, kind of moving out of that pain. So that was really early. I don't know whether I just came out (laughs) kind of thinking in that direction. But um, so even in high school, I was developing theories around learning disabilities and how the impact of being taught in a way that doesn't work for you can affect your self-esteem. And I had this whole theory about, you know, how many incarcerated people also have learning disabilities. And so, so that was, I mean, that was my brain. That's where I, kind of was already developing. So um, when I went to Auburn, I studied rehabilitation services. Okay. And so I worked in that field for a couple of years when I, when I got out of school, but I found that in all the evaluations and time with people that I was always getting in trouble for spending too much time doing the one-on-one interviews <laughs> <laughs> and really talking to people about what their assets were and how to work with what they did have and not focus so much on what they didn't have. 
And so after a couple of years of doing that, I was like, okay, all right, I think I need to go back to school. So, so you went back and you got your master's? Yeah, I actually have two masters um, in counseling and um, one of them, I figured if I wanted to work with folks in um, kind of recovering from toxic religious experiences that I needed a theology degree. <laughs> so I went to Georgia State and got a professional counseling degree. And then I also went and got a degree that blended the two, blended theology, which is the study of religions mm -hmm. and, um, and psychology. They blended it together. So, um, so yeah, so that's how I kind of came to this world of therapy and counseling about 17 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, yesterday was Valentine's day. I was joking with somebody that, um, I got my license on Valentine's Day in 2007. It was like the best gift ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's funny because now you are a, what, one of your specialties is relationships. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's a little, little irony going on there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and what, you know, the, the, today isn't about relationships, but, you know, the relationship with ourselves is so important and, it tends to get reflected in the relationship that we have with other people. So, you know, when I'm working with people on relationships, it doesn't just mean couples. So yeah, so that's a, that's my other passion, sexual trauma, recovery from that and relationships are my two, two, two hearts. Definitely. And it seems like it was kind of from day one that that's you, you may not have known that that's exactly what you're going to work on, but it was always there that you, know, you wanted to get inside people's minds and help them figure it out. Right, right, for sure. So you go back to school, you so you're working in you said occupational therapy? Uh rehabilitation, rehabilitation. services. Okay. Yeah. It was basically people going to back to work or trying to find how to go back to work after an injury or some sort of disability and assessing for that. So you were working in that and then you decided I'm going back to school. Did you continue working in that while you went to school or did you just school full-time? I did school full-time because I was doing two master's degrees at the same time. <laughs> and I was also married at the time and trying to stay married. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, my overly academic self was like, we're going to go for B's and we're going to, I was also, I did have a side job as well, but yeah. How did you come to where you are today, like with the ATL shrink, did you know exactly that you wanted to open your own practice or did you kind of just, you're like, all right, I got these two degrees. What was your thought process in building? Well, for about, for 10 or 11 years, I worked in a counseling center in Gwinnett County and I was working in a nonprofit area and, but there was a strong component of us bringing our own people in at the same time. And, um, and so that was, that was the beginning of, of my career. And I did a lot of group work. Group therapy is, is a big way that I work on all of these things and help people because as people come together, they feel much more normal, quote unquote, you know, um, when they're hearing the same things from other people, which I'm sure you're, you're finding and will find yeah. um, in your work as well in the foundation. And 
it's been five years, uh, ATL shrink. Um, well, 2012, they kind of, they overlapped for a while, but yeah. So I've just been creating my little niche in the world since then. Definitely. So you worked, was it freelance or just, you just were part of another? I was part of a nonprofit counseling center, okay. but it was, yeah, but there was kind of this component of, you know, sort of, we, we also brought our, brought people in and, you know, based on what our niches were and that kind of thing. But we had a lot of collaboration. So ATL Shrink is born. Did you know that the two things you focus on now were the things you wanted to, or did you just kind of open it up and see who came in? That, it it did get clarified pretty quickly. Also because one of my mentors had been in, you know, helping people recover from sexual abuse for, you know, 30 years. And so so there was a lot of that was just kind of part of part of the work and I folded into that really really easily for a lot of reasons. Do you want to go into kind of um what kind of things you practice like how you maybe work with the people that you're working with different step steps that you go through. You know, there's so many approaches that therapists take. There's so many things we study, modalities, you know, there's been so much in history and then things repeat themselves. And then, you know, we, we end up with like 20 things we can get trained in on top of our degrees and all of that. And I've landed in a place where if I had to go back to theory, object relations is, is a, is a theory that, that I work with and psychodynamic theory. So if anybody knows what that is and what that's about, it's, it's very much about the relationship with early caregivers. And so, you know, I, I pop back and forth between the present and the past a lot. I, I do want to know about the past. I think it's pretty vital to, to know about that. And I also think that, you know, our parents or the people that raise us pass things down. I, I, I call it relational DNA. You know, we've, we, you know, it's the, it's the nurture part of being around these people. And so I do a lot of looking at that. What are those patterns? What beliefs did you take in? Do those beliefs still work for you? I spend a lot of time talking about the nervous system, actually, because we aren't taught, we aren't taught a lot of things. And, you know, most of the time, a lot of parents and caregivers are just doing the best they can with what they were given and they try to build on it. There's, you know, the whole subset of people who are not doing that. And <laughs> um, we get into heavy, you know, abuse and neglect and then the, the results that come out of that. So there's a train, there's some training aspect in there, but the relation, certainly the relationship that I have with, with my clients is a direct practice arena. You know, what are the thoughts and feelings that you're having with me? You know, what does that bring up? And can we get to the words to talk about that? You know, what are the natural things that come up with us when I say or do certain things? What does it make you think and feel? And um, so sometimes it's, it's very direct in that sense. Um, certainly group therapy is, like I said, a big part. I have an ongoing trauma, sexual trauma group and, um, and an ongoing, it's called a process group, which is basically adults, um, it's gender inclusive, adults that come together to work on what they're working on in individual therapy in a group setting. 
So it might be anxiety, it might be their marriage, it might be trying to break a block in, you know, the success that they want to have, you know, thinking of the surviving, the thriving kind of place, you know, what's the block and how do we make a bridge to get there? You know, I'm definitely in the business of putting myself out of business, but I have a lot of people who kind of think of therapy like they would their financial coach or their personal trainer or anyone like that. And we might do chapters, you know, we might work on things for a while. They might go off and do their life for a while and then something might happen or a question might come up and then we might do another chapter for another few months. I'm just kind of scanning for you know, how to, how to summarize all of that. No, it's good. So a lot of what we're doing here is breaking stigmas, um, mm. breaking stigmas of talking about domestic violence, sexual trauma, all of that. One of the huge stigmas that is out there is therapy and going to therapy. And, yep. you know, uh, everybody thinks that you're crazy. If you go see a therapist, what are you doing to kind of break that stigma? Hmm. Well, could probably start with the name of my company. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love the name of your company. <laughs> um, you know, we, we were talking the other day and um, I said, you know, the reason I came up with ATL Shrink is, well, ATL is pretty clear. And, you know, Shrink made me laugh when I thought about it. And it usually does when I say it to people. And so, you know, in a way, it's kind of saying like, this isn't taboo. This isn't, you know, the shrink part is also because I help you shrink your problems and concerns. Like, you know, there's, there's a little twist there. But at the same time, I guess the work that I do and the way that I talk about it with people, I hope helps to break it open kind of in that same, like, if you have something you don't know or a problem that you're having, a wall you keep running into with your finances, what do you do? You call somebody about it. Right. If you keep having neck pain, what do you do? You go see somebody about it. So I, that's how I talk about it. Like I'm just another piece of the team. And I also, there's, we laugh a lot. We, you know, it's not, you got, you have to find a balance in it, you know, and also I do my own work. So, you know, there's the piece of I'm on the couch just as often as you are. And partly because I need to process the things that you know, I need to get, not to talk, I don't talk about other people's stuff in therapy, but you know, I need to take care of me right. and I can't be telling people to go take care of themselves and not be doing that myself. Right. I can't be telling people to do breathing exercises, <laughs> learning about their nervous system, challenging their own input to the conflict in their relationship if I'm not doing that myself. And that's just a personal belief. Definitely. 100% agree. I, I, there's always, self-care is always needed, no matter where you are in life, how great you're feeling. You're only feeling great because you're doing something related mm -hmm. to self-care. So mm -hmm. agree hundred percent. I do think the word has gotten to a place where it's used a lot for a lot of things, but I, you know, I tell people we all need a diner menu long list of things we can do. You know, it, it, uh, taking a walk or taking a bath or getting a manicure or, 
you know, listening to your favorite song might work in this situation, but not that situation. Right. So, you know, we need to come up with our own lists and know when, when certain things are going to work for us and to know when to say, "Mm -mm, that's not for me. Right. Exactly. Setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. Sure. You, you talk a lot about the nervous system. Will you go into what that means and what, what you do with the nervous system? Why and what? (laughs) Yes. All of the above. (laughs) Well, trauma is physical. Our bodies are with us when we go through it. But most of the time when we talk about it, it's really like above the neck. And through study and experience, and I will, I will label it a belief because it's a practice and it's, a, it's something that we can, we can only know so much about, I guess. But I do believe that what we go through gets trapped in our bodies. And our nervous system is, is part of that process. And why we repeat, you know, rewind, repeat, like with PTSD, why we do that is partly because when we go into survival mode to get through a situation, our emotions and our language centers are shut off. They have to shut down in order to, we don't need those systems when we're in survival mode. And so a lot of times they're rewinding and repeating to add those back in to kind of finish the loop. And we know so much more now about how to process that out of the body. And, you know, obviously I'm in the business of talk therapy, but I don't always think it's the best thing to rehash something if it's simply resetting or setting off the nervous system again. We don't, we don't heal in that space. We just rewind, repeat. And so training people about what's happening and how to go right up to the edge, kind of like if if you think about a a hard workout, you want to go, well, first of all, you want your, you want to hate your trainer every once in a while, right? (laughs) If you're really going to make a, make a difference and get to your goals, you're probably going to hate them at some point because they're going to push you just past that limit that you already have. I do think that's important, but in trauma, we need to kind of stop right before that and feel calm and to reestablish or establish for the first time. You know, some kids come into the world being abused from day one and they never had had the ability to build a calm experience. So it's not, they're not even returning to anything. So talking about how that all works and even even in on the relationship side talking about how the nervous system impacts how we relate to each other is is i think it's kind of cool so yeah so knowing when talk therapy comes not comes to an end but has its own role and then i also i really am like a team approach in terms of referring people for specific body work or you know making sure that how they, what they believe about themselves isn't hitting their finances because <laughs> it usually does. Right. You know, looking at the whole, all of the parts are, are, how are all the parts doing? What's, how, do, how has it impacted health? A conversation I had earlier this week reminded me that, you know, I don't think people understand that it's, as long as we have the intensity of trauma and especially sexual trauma in our world, 
we will have eating disorders and obesity. I could, I could talk to you for an hour about why that is, but it's something that's not understood very well, but our bodies are involved in all of this stuff. So does that give, give a snapshot? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think it's just important to understand what you do and how you do it through the nervous system um, because it's so vital to who we are. A lot of people don't understand how the nervous system works and how it can influence us in, time, in trauma and healing from trauma. Right. One of the tools I'd like to say something about, mm-hmm. one of the tools that I use is, you know, you've almost everybody's been in a situation where you've heard somebody say, or even be asked like zero to 10, how are you today? You know, zero being the best you could ever be and 10 being your head's about to fall off, you know? And so I use the subjective unit of distress scale. We call it the suds. And what I like about it is that it defines each number. So you can have a much better sense of, oh, I'm at a four right now. Oh, I'm at a six right now. If I'm edging up to a seven, my language center's turning, turning off. You know, if, 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 I'm gonna, if, if we're fighting, if I'm gonna fight with someone, I'm at least at a seven, which probably means I'm, in, I'm only focused on my needs and my wants, and I don't really care about the other person. And that's when we usually say things we don't mean or don't say the things we want to say because our language center is offline. We still have words, but are they the ones that we really right. want to be using in that, in that moment? So the said scale is something I think is really useful. Um, certainly things like feeling wheels, because I don't know about y'all, you know, I didn't, I wasn't taught, you know, this feeling is this, and these are the intricacies. We have sad, mad, and glad most of the time. Right. So exactly. And when you think of healing your physical body, you have the scales and they have the one through 10 and or zero through 10 and they've established what each one means. It just makes sense that it should be and has been established for your mental state. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also a good way to, to tell somebody where you're at because we don't always show it on the outside, especially if you're a trauma, someone who's healing after trauma, you're even, even the muscles in your face and how your body works can not show up to show people what's going on inside. Somebody can be having a panic attack inside and you think they look fine. You know, we, we don't, we don't, most, a lot of, a lot of people, there are plenty who understand that. Plenty. (laughs) Plenty. Myself being one of them. Yes. (laughs) I definitely understand that for sure. So you opened ATL Shrink five years ago and then you established the sexual trauma um, specialist database. Mm -hmm. What was it? What was the reason for developing this database? You've got your practice going, you're working with your people, and then you decide you want to take yeah. on this massive right. thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> so yeah, the, the sexual trauma specialist database is a networking community. And it's a networking community for specialists across fields. Um, it could be medicine, alternative medicine, you know, therapy, psychiatry, all, all manner of things. It could even be, my vision is that it also includes trauma-informed businesses 
which is a whole different conversation. But the database is for us as the specialists to network with each other. And it's for the people who want to partner with us so that they have access to all of these people. And so the reason I started the database was I got tired of if I wanted to refer to someone, I mean, I have my referral people that I tend to go to, but there might be a nuance, like a location that wasn't fitting for them, or the person wanted a transgender massage therapist, or, you know, like the specifics of that. And so I just kept feeling like, I don't know where the people are, where are the rest of me? And all of those that are are helping those to recover specifically from sexual trauma. And so in the summer last year, 2019, I was like, okay, let me take six months, check this out, contact people, have some, you know, networking calls and things like that and see, see if this is something that's needed. It is. (laughs) Yes. That's, that's the short version. So uh, the past, let's see, it's mid, mid February right now as we're talking and um, I've really stepped up a lot of things over the past month and a half and have some, have some big goals. So, and the big goal, the main goal is for us to easily be able to find each other for the specialists and the partners to find each other and, and to really do some good networking and referring. So. Definitely. I know you said it's a whole... That's how I found you. <laughs> I know, right? It's been great. Um, so you said it's a whole other conversation to talk about the business side of it, but I just kind of, uh, for anybody who's listening, so that they know maybe if they mm. need to reach out to you, what what kind of people are you looking for on that side as well? On the business side? So a trauma-informed business is, is kind of a new concept, and I don't even know how how far it goes. <laughs> Um, I think I might have heard it once or twice, but for instance, I, somebody was, one of my clients actually was talking about a tattoo artist that they were thinking of going to, who had gone to training for how to work with somebody who has been through trauma. And so there are certain practices kind of like in trauma focused yoga, where in a, in a yoga class where the instructor is trauma-informed, they are going to tell you or ask you if you want to be assisted. Like there is no touch without asking. There is a lot more verbal, this is what we're doing. There's a lot more intention in giving choice to the person because especially through sexual trauma, choice was taken. And so a trauma-informed business, like if you have, say, a real estate company, you might, if you're trauma-informed, if you've gone to some sort of training around this, you might show houses to a person who maybe in your paperwork, they check a box that says, yes, I would like to have an approach that is, you know, either PTSD, trigger, um, trauma-informed. And what that might look like is they might do specific things like not shake hands, not hug without asking, show the house in a way that, you know, never walking behind the person, for instance, pointing out security measures, hello, 
and you know those types of things and listening for like these are the safety measures in this neighborhood these are the things that are options these are so th that's just a, a few examples but if you take your environment and think through what is someone who's coming into my grocery store how do they experience the environment is it loud are there things falling on the floor that are loud do i need carpet you know how do i speak to the person do, you know is eye contact too much like and so we get into we get into um a lot of detail there but with the volume of people in the military and through you know domestic violence all of these things we we need to be i think a more trauma sensitive community and world but i also understand we're we're trying to be sensitive about a billion things <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you know a business has to be ada compliant i i worked in that field for a little while and you know things like that so there's a there's so many layers but if a business wanted to be trauma-informed it's something that they could earmark as part of their business practice and approach gotcha okay i mean that makes a lot of sense and i think that it it is needed because somebody who is trying to get through or you know work through trauma can be triggered by everyday things. And if people are just more conscientious, conscientious, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a hard word about yeah. just people going through life and that they may be going through a struggle and that they're dealing with things that you don't know about. We should be doing that anyways, but we're not, <laughs> you know, right, but, right. Um, but if businesses are taking a stand to do that more often, I think is a lot and it can be subtle changes it can be you know five or ten subtle things that are that are shifts that make a massive difference to that customer yeah exactly um so you talked a little bit about the other side of it uh well not a little bit but the the people that you want in it on the other side of it are what kinds of people like the partners yes Okay, so the partners would be people who work with either patients or congregations or groups of some type or, or even like, you know, clients of all manner who don't have sexual trauma experience and training themselves, but would like to be able to connect with people who do. Okay. So... so Mm -hmm. So like um, if somebody from a con congregation, a church member comes up and says, hey, this is happening at home. What mm -hmm. can I do? The church has like a list of people. Right. Right. Okay. So, so that's a good example, you know, to, for a congregation to be a partner to the database, then they have access to a wide range, a growing, I'll put it that way, a growing range of specialists to be able to pull from. And, you know, part of the vision for later in the year is to get to a place where people can contact us for speakers. So if there's a topic that a certain business entity congregation, you know, experiences that somebody on the database can come and speak about that. Gotcha. That's awesome. Are you hoping to grow this bigger than Atlanta? 
in oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i really have a big vision for it i haven't i've i was thinking the other day i'd really like to make even a 10-year plan or you know especially a five-year plan for it yeah for sure so overall um from practice to the database what are you doing moving forward what's your next steps balancing all of this (laughs) honestly um because i'm still my my complete staff (laughs) yes and so to to you know get to a place of having you know a, a social media admin and you know that kind of thing that would be really super helpful but i'm i am moving in a direction of doing you know more groups and more talks more like bringing people together to have discussions about things whether it's trauma related or whether it's relationship related um you know i don't want i don't want to really be meeting in big spaces. I really like the under 10, you know, groups of people that can really connect and talk with one another and maybe facilitating, filling in the gaps, even bringing up things that they wouldn't even think to talk about. Facilitating conversation and that kind of thing is, is a direction that I'd really like to go. I'm definitely writing a book, you know, doing, doing podcasts like this, is is a really great way to do that and connecting to people who are already out there doing other wonderful things you know that's and being a voice for that connect i love being a connector i mean it's why i created a networking community for goodness sake so <laughs> right so what is something that you can recommend to the listeners to help them get through a traumatic situation or like the starting point like what would be your first step to moving through a traumatic situation that's a really good question i know people are only listening to this so you can't see me pondering (laughs) um first steps so this might be a little so i would say most people who've especially in domestic violence, you know, people may have come from a stream of abusive situations or they may not have. One of the things that gets beaten down so much in those situations is being able to listen to yourself, your own intuition. It gets, you know, pushed way to the back. And, you know, the questioning of yourself is such a massive part of all of that. And so if there's any way to reconnect to that core center of self, I think then you've, and knowing that, knowing that you have what you need, you may need resources. There may be outside, outside pieces that you need, which is, you know, where you guys come in Um, and education and protection and all of those pieces there's a lot of education probably that's needed but listening to that core self and even if you don't believe it knowing that you're worth it that every person is worth having a life that they choose that's not a question that's not a that's not a philosophical is this something that's true at least not in my world. So connecting to that in any kind of way you can, if it's the way your dog looks at you, 
if it's anything, any scrap of something that you can grab onto that gives you hope and leads to the next micro millisecond of hope that you can then grow some momentum in. Also attempting to learn, you know, what, what are the things in domestic violence and in, you know, in sexual abuse, what are things called? What are the different psychological ways that people beat other people down? Knowing that it's called something can give so much power. You know, we've, we've been in this, you know, time of where the term gaslighting is talked about quite a bit. I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, it can be applied to some things that may not be, but <laughs> at the same time, I'd rather that be the case. I'd rather this pendulum have swung over to that degree uh, so educating yourself in any kind of way you can, I'm trying to think of like a third piece. Cause I, I kind of work in threes for some reason, <laughs> really leaning into anything that you can do in the moment. You may not be able to get out of your situation, but maybe you can get out of your situation for five minutes by looking out the window. I, you know, that, I don't know how, if that, how that comes across, but the, sim the simple things that you can do in the moment to prove that you have choice. You know, what's the towel that you pick out to use that week? What are the socks that you pick out to wear today? Those are your choices. And those choices can grow into choices about where I live and who I spend time with and who I don't spend time with. And so knowing that those little tiny things can grow into much bigger things. I would, I, I would hope that that would provide some pieces of hope. A lot of times sexual trauma and physical violence and domestic violence go hand in hand. Do you normally try to separate the two if you're trying to work through the trauma or do you do it all in one piece because they kind of all happen together? I think you know, establishing safety is certainly something that bridges those two. Um, I would say, mm, I don't know, I don't separate them. But I do think that with sexual trauma, the, the, the level of boundary crossing is different. There's a lot of overlap but it, but it is different. It kind of crosses into the psychological space. Not that, not that physical violence doesn't, but it's just a, it's just a different brand, I think. Yeah, definitely. What is, um, a, like a, a book or podcast mm -hmm. or ebook that you, um, would recommend to listeners or to anybody, to mm -hmm. clients to, mm -hmm kind of get that in that get them in that mindset and to kind of start working on a lot there's a lot there's a lot um anything by peter levine i'm trying to think of, of he has lots of lots of um material and on, on youtube a lot peter peter levine and stephen porges is developed the polyvagal theory um, the vagus nerve is a lot of what gets tripped off when we have trauma and it shuts our systems down. 
it's why people shut down and don't move um, and don't run. Yeah. Um, another topic we could discuss a lot. Yes. Um, <laughs> let me think of others. Basil Vanderkolk um, is the leader of or founded a hospital in Boston, a trauma hospital that's um, they actually figured out yoga was helping quite a lot in terms of processing out the body stuff. And so Bezel Vanderkolk and right now I'm spending the month, this month and next month focused on the masculine experience. And it's a massive place we miss. And there are so many boys, men and transgender people who went through sexual trauma and the myth that women are not perpetrators needs to be broken. So I'm reading Mick Hunter's book, Abused Boys, right now, and he also want, wrote one about sexual trauma or sexual assault in the military. That, that's a really good one. I will say, too, I'll throw this in here, that I have a group for people who are, who are wanting something that is sort of like a book club, but it also has the support of knowing that you're in a room with other people healing from sexual trauma. Basically we have a meditation. Everybody brings their own book for what they're reading right then. We read for 45 minutes and then we talk about what we're reading. So it's a supportive space. It's called reset because we need to reset our life. So it's called reset reading room and it's a low cost, no commitment way to be reading the things that, you know, the books that are on the shelf, Yeah, there's, there's typically, especially if you're seeing a therapist, they've told you to read some stuff right? and it's probably sitting on the shelf or in a Kindle somewhere. And so kind of creating that space. So if people want to contact me to figure out what to be reading, I have a lot of resources. So, and that's one thing I do like to talk to people about, even if you're not my client, you know, that's, you know, that's a conversation that we can have. Awesome. Um, what is something that the new you would say to the old you? I think this is such a key question because people who are looking at their newer mm -hmm. self don't really mm -hmm. know what they're going to, how to get there. And I think mm -hmm. bringing in that question of, well, what would you tell yourself when you were? Well, it actually is related to what I suggested, which is that I would have listened to myself way earlier. That's been the biggest thing of my surviving to thriving story is listening to what I really needed, being able to make choices that were best for me, not to the exclusion of others, but you know, I was, I, I was brought up in a system that was very codependent and, and, and encouraged codependency and views about women were mixed up. And so I would, I would say, listen to yourself, learn yourself. Um, because that's every time I get stuck, that's what I go back to. What am I needing right now? What am I wanting right now? And, um, you know, whether that's, you know, how to get out of, you know, part of my process has been how to manage anxiety. That's my biggest hurdle. 
and pockets of deep depression and panic attacks and, and things like that. And so when I'm doing my best, I'm listening to myself the most. Yeah, definitely. Um, if somebody wanted to reach out to you or get connected with you, who are the clients that you take on? Like what specifically? And then how can they get sure. in contact with you? So at this time, I only work with adults. And, um, but I do work, you know, with, with couples and, um, and I don't know that age is really, doesn't really end. This is not really a, yeah. a top level age, but I do work a lot with intercultural and interracial couples. So that's a specific place that is really helpful. And I do have a lot of people, like I said, who, who are coming out of toxic religious experiences. And I'm not against religion, but I am against toxic spaces and yes. abuse. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, to try and reestablish those things. And, um, and I'm trying to think of anything else that would be really helpful kind of in that, in that kind of narrowing down. Yeah. So email is the easiest way to get in touch with me. And that's Claire Horner at atlantashrink.com. Do you mind if I could spell it out? No, Sometimes that's helpful. Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, Horner, H-O-R-N-E-R at atlantashrink.com. You're welcome to poke around the website before you do anything, you know, get a, get a sense of me. You know, I definitely feel like there's, there are people that I work best with and, you know, it's, it's like anybody, you got to find the right match. So, um, but my phone number also, which is certainly useful, 404-277-6631. You can also find the database. There's a, there's a, on atlantashrink.com, there is a page specifically for the database. And um, we have the, the videos up of the calls, the recorded calls that I've had with, with the specialists in the past few months. And also, if you would, if you could, you know, I'm going to share this also mm -hmm. with the database, if you want to speak to that as well. Yeah, definitely. So we are Surviving to Thriving, a 501c3 here in Atlanta who specializes in um, domestic violence. And we're helping women through um, lifestyle learning courses, such as, um, you know, doing GED stuff, doing um, job searching, resume building, counseling services, just different things like that. We also have a um, women's self-defense course, which is um, trauma-based. So it is a lot of, like we talked about, where it's, is it okay if I show you how to do this move. I'm going to have to place my hands on you, mm. do all this stuff. And so you can actually teach them the move while still being respectful of what they're going through. And then eventually it goes all the way up until like full on combatives, but working through that trauma of all of our um, aggressors is what we call them, our mm. uh, trauma specialists, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. recognize the triggers. They know exactly when to stop, how to you know, it's very trauma-based. It's an awesome program. Um, so we teach that. And it also gives power back to the women because now they feel like they can defend themselves if, if ever needed. And then plan that's about probably two years down the road is sustainable housing. And it is to... So excited for this. Yes, <laughs> we are too. We're just waiting for the, <laughs> the moment to happen. Um, but it's to get rid of the stigma of shelters and to allow the 
women and their families and children to not have to worry about the 90 days of shelter. Mm. So, you know, you get into an emergency shelter and they're like, all right, you got 90 days to figure your life out. Have fun. <laughs> they don't really right. give you a lot of the tools to do that. Um, and so our stable housing program is a three to five year plan. And it is um, basically we take apartment complexes, put all these women in them, lock them down, make sure they're safe, pay for their rent, food, utilities, uh, then help them find jobs, and then slowly reintegrate having to pay for rent, utilities, and food until mm -hmm. they have built up being able to sustain themselves. Simulating life. I yeah. Mean, just exactly. Not simulating, yeah. actually. Actually you know. doing life. Um, doing life. Yeah. And being able to implement all the things that we've, we've taught them, which is, you know, budgeting and finances and all of this different things and, and being able to have people around them that are going through the same exact mm -hmm. thing. Uh, and then help them find a house and graduate them from the program. Um, so mm -hmm. that's our, our plan. But right now we've got the podcast. So that's um, Surviving to Thriving. And you can find it on Apple, iTunes, Spotify. And I think iHeartRadio has it as well. Just wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find me all over social media. Um, our handle across all platforms is To Thriving ATL. To Thriving ATL. Okay. Yeah, T-O. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on our show and dropping just little nuggets of wisdom everywhere. Mm. Um, it was awesome. And I look forward to working with you more with the, the database. Yeah. Great. That's so great. I'm all, I'm all about helping people get to a place of living rich. So this is, this is part of that, you know, therapists, we, we sometimes don't get out of our offices. We close the door and help people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to change that for myself. Definitely. Well, we appreciate you coming on. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O, thriving, ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.